Well, the other day I took you through a speech by Eric Zemmour, a French presidential candidate. Let me do something a little closer to home. An amazing half-hour conversation with Elon Musk and a conference hosted by the Wall Street Journal. I'm going to take you through 10 revealing clips. He talks about a number of things, including his views on China and subsidies to his own company. Interview, very interesting surprises in it. Um, that's ahead. I would like to encourage you to become a Rebel News Plus subscriber. The, the audio podcast is free, obviously, but for eight bucks a month, you get the video version of it. And I think that's powerful. Some days it's essential. We, we put effort onto the video side, of course, and sometimes if it's a found video in the field of something going on, you really need the video to understand it. Please consider supporting us by going to rebelnewsplus.com and clicking subscribe. It's eight bucks a month, which I hope is affordable for you, but I have to tell you, it really adds up for us, and it allows us to be as independent as we are. You know we would never take a dime from Trudeau's media bailout. Just go to rebelnewsplus.com. All right, here's today's show. Tonight, the wisdom of Elon Musk. It's December 7th, and this is The Ezra Levant Show. Why should others go to jail Why? when you're a biggest carbon Ezra. consumer I know? There's 8,500 customers here, and you won't give them an answer. The only thing I have to say is government but why I publish is because it's my bloody right to do so. We hear a lot from Bill Gates, who used to be the world's richest man. Instead of doing industry or creating entrepreneurial outfits anymore, he's more into social control, spending hundreds of millions of dollars on media fact-checkers to disagree with them, investing in controlling schemes like mandatory vaccines, which he promotes, and even bizarrer ideas like blocking out the sun with dust in order to save us from global warming. I think even though he looks like a sort of schleppy regular guy, I think he's actually deeply evil, not just the schemes I've just outlined, but of course this New York Times story showing that Bill Gates kept in close touch with Jeffrey Epstein even after Epstein was convicted of being a child predator. I think Bill Gates is a deeply evil man. But the world's richest man, at least for now, is, couldn't be more opposite than Bill Gates. His name is Elon Musk, and of course he's uh, the CEO of Tesla, but of many other things too, of SpaceX, of uh, the Boring Company, which specializes in tunnels. He's in so many different things, and of course he's active on Twitter, often with ironic and culturally hip jokes and memes. But he sat down with the Wall Street Journal for half an hour at a conference they held, and he was asked good questions, and I thought he gave great answers. It's nice to hear from Elon Musk in a longer form. So I'd like to take you through 10 different clips extracted from his conversation with the Wall Street Journal that I think there's a lot of wisdom here. I mean, I don't agree with everything the man says, but what a refreshing change he is uh, from the big government, big business, uh, you know, crony capitalist types. Let me start with what I thought was an ordinary question with an extraordinary answer. 
Here, take a look. I wanted to ask you, say tomorrow you get a phone call from Joe Biden and he says... <laughs> I think that's unlikely, but sure. Okay. You know, he, he just gives you a call and he says, you know, I haven't been talking a lot about Tesla lately, but, you know, what do you, what do you need from this bill? What are your needs? What do you answer him? Um, well, I, 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 to be, I mean, to be totally frank, I'm, I, I, I don't know if we, at least no, no one at Tesla has actually brought up whether they, they care about this bill or not. I, I think if this bill happened or didn't happen, I, I, I don't know. We don't think about it at all, really. Okay. It, um, it, it might be better, honestly, it might be better if the, if the bill doesn't pass. Because um, we've spent so much money, uh, you know, it's like the, 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 the federal budget deficit is insane. Um, you know, it's like $3 trillion federal uh, expenditures are $7 trillion, uh, federal revenue is $4 trillion. That's a $3 trillion uh, difference in, uh, if this was a company, it'd be a $3 trillion loss. So uh, I don't know if we should be adding to that loss. That seems pretty crazy. Um, something's gotta give. You can't just spend uh, $3 trillion more than your own uh, every year and expect uh, you know, don't expect something bad to happen. I think, you know, this is not good. Um, well, wait, Mitch McConnell is actually in fact, saying... In fact, if I may elaborate on that, the, the, the deficit is more than $3 trillion when you look at uh, the uh, future obligations. So it's uh, $7 trillion of current expenditures, but the it's, it's much more than that if you look at future obligations for Social Security, Medicare, and, and, and so forth. So we're running this incredible deficit. I, I, someone's got to give. I, I, I don't know... This just can't keep going. Wow. I mean, I love the first part. We don't even talk about what the government's doing. We don't have an interest in it. We're busy doing whatever we do in our company. I thought that was a wonderful answer that rang true. But later saying, you know, government's too big. When was the last time you heard a big businessman say government is too big? Normally they say, well, we need either subsidies to protect us or regulations to inhibit our competitors. What a great answer that was. And uh, the questioner followed up with uh, more about the role of government. What is the role of government? I've been a critic of Tesla before because it has taken government subsidies. These next two clips have an interesting answer to that. Take a look at this one. Um, yeah, but I, I don't see a strong effort in this direction. Um, well, I want to come back to autonomous vehicles, but... Um, want to just stay a little bit more on the role of government. You said at this conference actually a year ago that you think government should really just be hands off when it comes to innovation. Though with this bill, there is a lot of support for EVs and it could be the, the biggest change that we've seen uh, throughout the country in terms of the infrastructure of EVs and it, and it helps Tesla. What do you think the role of government should be? Um, I, I think the, the role of government should be that of like a referee um, and, you know, like, uh, and, and, uh, but not a player on the field. Um, so, um, generally, you know, government should, I think, just try to get out of the way and, and not, uh, impede progress. I think we, there's a general problem, not just in the U.S., but in, in most countries where the rules and regulations keep, um, increasing every year. Uh, rules and regulations are immortal. They don't die. There's not a natural. Occasionally, you see some law with a sunset provision, but but really, otherwise, the vast majority of rules and regulations uh, live forever. And so, if more rules and regulations are applied every year, and it just keeps growing and growing, eventually, 
uh, it, it just it takes longer and longer and, and it's harder to do things. Um, and there's, there's not really um, an effective garbage collection system for removing rules and regulations. Um, and so the gradually, the, the, this, this hardens the arteries of civilization um, where you're able to do less and less over time. Um, so I think government should be really trying hard to get rid of rules and regulations um, that perhaps had some merit at some point, but uh, don't have merit uh, currently. But there's very little effort in this direction. Um, this, this is a big problem. Hmm. You know, again, even one of the biggest arguers for regulation in our economy are companies that dominate the marketplace. They want the regulation to hobble upstarts. You see this in tech. You even saw it in Alberta for the limits on new oil sands production. The big four companies agreed with Rachel Notley to ban any upstarts because they already got their big oil sands projects. Here is the world's largest electric car maker, at least the largest one in America, is saying, I don't want more rules and regs. He was asked about subsidies, like I say, uh, Tesla has taken them, but listen to him talk about that. Because um, sometimes the criticism of Tesla is like, hey, Tesla gets all these subsidies. But it's worth noting that for the, the vehicle purchase tax credit, the $7,500, Tesla stopped getting that like two years ago. So we've, uh, whereas um, uh, everyone else, I think, except for GM, still gets the $7,500 tax credit. So all of our you know sales this year and I think last year were uh, had nothing to do with the, 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 the tax credit because we were no longer eligible because we'd made so many electric cars. Uh, Tesla's made roughly two thirds of all the electric cars in the United States. Uh, you know, I, I'm not sure most people are aware of that. Um, so, yeah, so Tesla's made basically twice as many electric vehicles as the rest of industry combined. Um, and we, we don't need the $7,500 tax credit. Um, I would say, Honestly, I would just can this whole bill. Don't pass it. That's my recommendation. What, what about what about the the support though for the charging network? I mean, there are there are parts of this bill. And, and, no. No, I mean, you know, do, do we need support for gas stations? Uh, we don't. So uh, there's no there's no need for this uh, for, for support for a charging network. I would delete it. Delete. <laughs> okay. All right. I'm literally, I'm literally saying get rid of all subsidies. And but also for oil and gas. Isn't that incredible? You hear all these climate change activists calling for subsidies for electric cars, subsidies for charging stations. And there's the man who has produced twice as many electric cars as the rest of the industry combined saying, we don't need the help. We didn't want the help. I love his analogy. Do we need to subsidize gas stations? I, what a rebuke to the control, the social control model of the climate change activists like Bill Gates himself, let alone politicians. He, he makes another brief comment about where the call for subsidies came from. He says that when he started Tesla, that wasn't on his mind. It was one of his competitors. Take a listen to this. I'm in favor of deleting subsidies. I mean, when we started Tesla, there were, there were no EV subsidies at all. And gasoline was super cheap. Uh, we did not anticipate any subsidies. Uh, that, that came later, and, and that came, the, the $7,500 tax credit came as a result, not of Tesla activity, but of, of General Motors lobbying for it. Um, so, you know, um, I would just say, just, just delete them all. I did not know that General Motors was the one that called for those subsidies. It makes sense. You know the old, old motto, what's good for General Motors is good for America. 
Yeah, maybe that was true, but I'm not sure if, uh, if it's true anymore. That is the crony capitalist motto. Whatever else you think of Elon Musk, he's not in bed with the government. Joe Biden actually hates him. Uh, here's a great question about research and development, which is another big government thing. People always say we need more investment in research and development as if politicians are better at that than others. Take a look at this. There, there's some other good things in this bill, some would argue. I mean, the, a lot of money earmarked for R&D. Would, would you want to put that towards something? No. Okay. All right. All right. We're going to move on from the bill because I think we get what uh, you're saying we pass on it. it. In, in general, we, we should just, we, we, if we don't cut government spending, I, something really bad is going to happen. This is crazy. Our, our spending is so far in excess of revenue, it, it's insane. Um, like you could zero out all billionaires in the, in the country. There's all this like anti-billionaire BS. Uh, well, uh, if, if you zeroed out all the billionaires, you still wouldn't solve the deficit. Huh. Imagine saying, I don't want the government to spend money on R&D. You would think that as a greedy capitalist, he would want free money and he would want the government to do the research for him. But um, he, he has a different mindset than the globalist, crony, corporatist. I think this is very refreshing. I think every answer is a surprise. And th this next one I really appreciate. He talks about, he looks at government in a way that I think every progressive, every leftist should, which is skeptically and pointing out really what's the difference between big government and big business other than you can never run away from big government, you can never hold big government to account, and big government has the lawful use of violence. This is an amazing comment. Take a look at these two minutes. Like if you think of uh, assets beyond a certain level um, that, that are far beyond, uh, let's say, somebody's ability to consume, um, then you know at a certain point, really, what you're doing is capital allocation. So you're, you're not. It's not money for personal expenditures. It's it, what you're doing is, is capital allocation, and it does not make sense to take uh, the the job of capital allocation away from people who have demonstrated great skill in capital allocation and give it to uh, you know an entity that has demonstrated very poor skill in in capital allocation, which is the government. Uh, I mean, you can think of the government essentially uh, as a corporation in the limit. Uh, it, it is, it is a, the government is simply the biggest corporation with a monopoly on violence and, with, and where you have no recourse. I mean, government is a corporation in the limit. So um, if you, it, it is the most corporate thing. It is, the, it is maximum corporation. Um, and it, but it's also a monopoly um, and, and also is the only one that's allowed legally to do violence. So why, why would you want to give a, a corporation with no competition that, that can't even really go bankrupt um, more money? So, so I'm not somebody who is, who is sort of an extreme libertarian uh, and thinks the government should not do anything. I just think we should um, minimize what the government does because the, the government's efficiency at spending is is just going to be lower than um, a, a competitive commercial company, but by a lot. Isn't that amazing? I can't believe this libertarian philosopher and scholar happens to be the world's richest man and, and great innovator. Um, very interesting to me. You know, he talks a lot about capital allocation. That's a way of saying, where do we put money in society that's the best? And one of the things he says about other gazillionaires, like Warren Buffett of Berkshire Hathaway, is he says, Warren Buffett is a capital allocation specialist. So which company deserves more 
investments? Should it go into Coke or to Pepsi? Well, depends on which company's being run better and let me measure and check and read financial reports. That's the Warren Buffett way of doing business. And it's a very useful and important way of doing business. Elon Musk calls that capital allocation. Where should we move money in society? He says, why would you take money away from the Warren Buffetts who are good at that and give it to governments who are terrible at that? That's a very thoughtful way of looking at it. It's realizing that governments are big business too. Now, this next part is one of my favorites. It's, it's worth remembering. We don't think about it that much, but um, there's something inherent uh, about freedom and smaller government. It's, and we have two perfect laboratories, that of uh, pre-unification Germany and divided Korea. Take a listen to this. So, so I'm not somebody who is who's sort of an extreme libertarian uh, and thinks the government should not do anything. I just think we should... Um, minimize what the government does because the, the government's efficiency at spending is is just going to be lower than um, a, a competitive commercial company, but by a lot. Um, if you look at, say, um, East Germany versus West Germany or North Korea versus South Korea, and you look at the GDP per capita of uh, East and West Germany or North and South Korea, the, the, the difference is gigantic. Um, and that's just the difference say, between East and West Germany or uh, um, you know, it's, it's like a random line was drawn, uh, basically, depending on where the, the, the Red Army was and, and where the Allied troops were. Um, and uh, East Germany's productivity was like uh, at least five times worse than West Germany. Um, and it's not like West Germany was like some bastion of capitalism. They were quite socialist, really. So there may be as much as an order of magnitude difference between a, the efficiency of, of a competitive private company versus the government. It's so refreshing to hear that in an age of Bernie Sanders and socialists to hear someone saying, yeah, no, it doesn't work. But I think the most surprising thing I heard in this whole speech was what was next. Um, typically, the fancy people like Bill Gates and the World Economic Forum, just the other day, the World Economic Forum said that there are 95% too many people in the world. I mean, they're depopulation obsessed. I mean, Bill Gates is is obsessed with reducing population. He says so. Elon Musk was asked about that. He has the opposite point of view. I've never heard this before by anyone at his station in life. Take a listen. There are not enough people. I can't emphasize this enough. There are not enough people. Um, and I think one of the biggest risks to civilization is the low birth rate uh, uh, and the rapidly declining birth rate. Uh, it is. It is and yet so many people, including smart people, think that there are too many people in the world and think that the population is growing out of control. It's completely the opposite. Please look at the numbers. Uh, if people don't have more children, civilization is going to crumble. Mark my words. Is this why you have so many children? I'm trying to set a good example. <laughs> yeah. You know, got to practice what I preach. He does. I think he's got seven kids, although I think one passed away. Maybe he has six surviving children. That is a lot of children. Um, now, he's a, uh, almost a trillionaire. He's got a couple hundred billion. He can afford many kids, but it's obviously a deeper belief than him. And of course, you don't need to be rich to have children. Um, I, I want to show you his, I guess, corollary about we need more people. But unlike some really weird uh, billionaires. He doesn't want to live forever. He doesn't believe um, in trying to become immortal. 
uh, he used the word immortal earlier, if you heard him to talk about government regulations, but he thinks that we should live and we should die and we should have kids while we're here. Um, I thought this was an interesting comment. He takes a jab at Joe Biden, I think, but he's just talking about uh, to live your life while you're alive. Take a listen. How are, how are you combating aging? Is there some secret technology we don't know about that, you are, that you've got? Um, I'm not aware of any secret technology to combat aging. Um, and I, I mean, I don't, I don't know that we should really try to live for a, a, a super long time. Um, I think there is some, it, it is important for us to die because, you know, lo, most of the times people don't change their mind, they just die. And so if, if, they, if, they, if we live forever, then we might become a very ossified society where new ideas cannot succeed. So, um, but I'm not, I'm not poking fun at, at aging. I'm just saying, um, you know, if, if we've got uh, people in uh, very important positions that have to make decisions that are critical to the security of the country, then they need to have sufficient uh, presence of mind and cognitive ability to, to make those decisions well, um, because the whole country is depending on them. Mm -hmm. Well, I thought you might say psychedelics. Do you think when he's talking about people uh, in charge of the national security of the country uh, having their cognitive abilities, do you think maybe there's a teeny tiny chance he was referring to Joe Biden? Uh, I think there's another reason, by the way, we don't want to live forever, and that is life has value precisely because it's limited. If we were to live forever, nothing would have been of any consequence. Nothing would matter because you could just fix it tomorrow or in a year or in a hundred years or a thousand years. But I, I think he does have a good point that we need the generations to pass one to the next. Um, his last comment, I think, was his weakest because I think it was his only inauthentic comment the whole day. I mean, Elon Musk is a self-made man. He controls Tesla unquestionably. He follows his heart. He has side projects. He has a Neuralink project that he's trying to give uh, paralyzed people the power of their limbs back. He has his space project. He has his subway project. He's got his uh, automatically driven cars project. The guy loves to take action on, on whatever his heart desires and his brain suggests. So I think he's one of the freest men in the world. He's beholden to no one, certainly not to the president of the United States and certainly not to any subsidy. But he was asked about China and immediately he changed. And I think we see the one place where Elon Musk does have a master. Of course, he is trying to break into the massive Chinese market. He has a gigafactory in China, if I'm not mistaken. And so you can see when he's asked a question about China, he gives a very vague and meek answer, not as obedient as, say, Disney or the NBA would. But you can see that for the first time in the half-hour conversation, suddenly he's thinking, hmm, what will happen to my stock price if I give a politically incorrect answer? Take a look. The United States has been the world's largest economy for as long as anyone can remember. Um, you know, and I think the U.S. became the largest economy, I don't know, probably 120, 130 years ago. Um, and there's nobody that old really anymore who, who can remember a time when the United States was not the world's biggest economy. Uh, now we're, we're heading towards a situation where China is going to be probably ha have an economy two to three times the size of the United States. And so that, that's just a different, um, different world. Um, 
I, I do think there's, you know, there's there there are a lot of people in the government in China who who kind of grew up uh, with China not being with China being a, a small economy, um, and maybe who feel like China was pushed around a lot, um, and but they, but they they haven't fully um, appreciated the fact that that China really is going to be the big hit on the block, um, and and so like if you're going to be the big hit on the block, then you, you you can really be be pretty chill about things, you know. You, you don't have to worry about like other countries are not really a threat to you if you're by far the biggest kid on the block. Um, and you know, so I I would say it's that that's kind of an important mindset change. Uh, ho hopefully that 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 uh, you know China goes through is just you know to think like if you are the biggest kid like. How would you want the biggest kid on the block to behave? Uh, and now, if you are going to be the biggest kid on the block, then wouldn't you want to behave like you'd want, like you would have wanted the biggest kid on the block to behave? Um, I think that's that's pretty important. Um, I mean, overall, you know, I think like Tesla has has a good relationship with with China, um, and I don't mean to endorse everything that China does. Um, any more than I would say endorse everything the United States does, uh, or any country. Um, but you know, o overall, I I think um, yeah, we are headed to to an, an interesting and different world, um, and I hope that we can remember that you know we're all human beings, and you know. Let's let's just try to have as as positive um, a relationship as possible, and um, you know, and, and work towards mutual prosperity of humanity as a whole. Wow, that last answer. Would you agree with me of the ten clips I showed you? Would you agree with me that the last one was the most guarded, the most finessed? That he really thought, well, I better choose my words very carefully. Oh, um, well, I don't endorse everything they do. Not that I endorse everything America does. And um, I just hope that we're mutually prosperous. And like he was very careful. The, the one meaningful idea he had was when you're not the biggest kid in the block, you hope the biggest kid in the block is nice to you. When you become the biggest kid in the block, hey, still think like you're the little guy. That works maybe for democracies, but it doesn't work for communist dictatorships that are militaristic, expansionist, and have a chip on their shoulder. I think he sort of gave away the game there. When China is the number three or number two banana, it'll act a certain way, but the minute it gets dominance economically, militarily, diplomatically, and it's on the cusp of all of those things, do you really think China's going to be meek and mild? I think... Uh, Elon Musk himself does not believe it. That was more a hope he expressed than a prediction. Well, I uh, have to say, Elon Musk is a fascinating man. He's an individual, an independent thinker, much more than Jeffrey Bezos, Mark Zuckerberg, or the horrific Bill Gates. I think he believes in liberty, much more than the social media tycoons do. I think he's a builder and a dreamer. I think he's an amateur philosopher who actually makes more sense than maybe many of the professional philosophers in our world. And uh, I learned a little bit from him too. I realized that he no longer gets the subsidy that made me chafe against his company. And I learned that he never asked for them. It was GM that did. He was just 
happy to take the free money along the way. My esteem went up for him. I hope yours does too. If I'm wrong, let me know. Send me an email to Ezra at rebelnews.com. Stay with us. More ahead. The formerly fascist countries of Austria, Germany, and Italy are uh, trying on that old outfit again, getting the band back together as they're bringing in the most vicious vaccine mandates ever seen. I think they're actually more strenuous than anything that China itself has done. And now in New Brunswick, Canada, grocery stores have been given the power to ban unvaccinated people from even shopping for basic needs. What's going on in the United States, though, the most important country in the world by many measures, and of course a country whose lead Canada often follows, joining us now via Skype, is Janine Yunus, a lawyer with the new Civil Liberties Alliance, who's been a leading American activist on this file. Janine, great to see you again. So much is going on around the world. We're coming to you for the U.S. update. There's some good news and some bad news. Let's start with the bad news. What's happening in New York City, perhaps the world's most amazing and magical and exciting place? What's the mayor doing to that city? Well, he's destroying it <laughs> one stroke at a time, um, or I should say one press conference at a time, because he doesn't actually sign any orders. Usually he just issues these things by a press conference. But the latest is that he um, has issued a mandate yesterday for private companies to require their employers to get the vaccine. Not only that, but for children ages 5 to 11 to show proof of vaccination to enter um, what we would call places of public accommodation, so restaurants, uh, theaters, gyms, uh, etc. So that's essentially mandating vaccines for children of tender years, like five years old. You're forced to vaccinate your kid now, or you can't even go to a, even if you're vaxxed yourself, you can't go to a restaurant. Well, yeah, so what these governments... Um, are saying is, oh, we're not forcing you to get the vaccine. You know, it's, it's completely ridiculous. You're shutting people out of public life, and now you're putting parents in the position of having to make their children's lives miserable or give them a vaccine that ha really has not been adequately tested on children. Um, it, you know, to the extent there are issues with adults in terms of how long this vaccine has been tested and how extensively, those issues are writ large for children. Um, there have been no studies conducted of uh, children with natural immunity, for instance, getting the vaccine. And the studies on children have been much uh, more, more uh, limited in nature. So this is just a shocking development. And, uh, you know, uh, children face such a low risk of COVID that what's going on here is a bunch of scared adults are using little kids to protect themselves, to feel better. It doesn't even work <laughs> because we know these vaccines aren't very good at stopping transmission. But um, uh, what they're doing to children is sickening. I agree. Um, let's get back to the point you made earlier about uh, requirements on private companies. If I heard you right, does that mean if you're you're a worker, like you 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 work in like let's say a local New York has so many little corner stores that have a it's a little bit of a corner store, it's a little bit of a restaurant, it's a little like there's so many little places. Often they're owned by New Americans, so these are folks just you know visible minorities or whatever. They're getting their they're, they're really the hardworking entrepreneurial small businesses that make New York so interesting. Those places, are they covered by this new rule that their staff have to be vaxxed? Well, it appears that way, Ezra. I mean, the mayor just made a statement at a press conference saying that now private businesses have to do this. So nobody. <laughs> so he hasn't actually passed a law yet. He's just sort of 
using the bully pulpit to suggest it? I mean, does he have the power to issue orders like this, or does it have no. to come from the New York City Council? It's, he, he's, it's from the health commissioner, but it's uh, under emergency. Again, there's supposed to be an ongoing emergency for something like this. There is no emergency in New York City right now. This is made up. <laughs> this is just a complete abuse of executive power. I, I mean, we're seeing it in New York. We're seeing it in other places as well. Uh, we're actually seeing it with the federal mandates, although thank, thankfully the courts have been uh, you know, quite good at reining that in. Uh, we'll get into those federal mandates in a minute. I just got one last question for you because... Uh, I, I've been looking at the different kinds of groups that are hesitant, hesitant to take the vaccine. And although uh, in the media party, as I call it, the narrative is, well, it's those right-wing Republicans, you know, the MAGA hat supporters, they're the ones who are objecting. If I'm reading my statistics right, the groups that are the least likely to be vaxxed include African-Americans, and uh, Hispanic Americans. I'm, you'll correct me if I'm wrong on that. And again, that gets back to these corner stores, which are often visible minorities, new immigrants just working hard, often a family business. And the idea that they could be fired from, like, I, I don't even know how that would work in a, in a family business. If you've got a family business, do you have to fire your own kin because they're not vaxxed? And this is going to hit those immigrant families the hardest. I mean, I, I care about everybody, but this is a very anti-progressive thing for a so-called progressive mayor to command. Well, this is just along the lines of all of the other policies that so-called progressive politicians have been implementing uh, under the uh, pandemic. I mean, lockdowns harm the poor and the working class the most. Mask mandates harm the poor and the working class the most, you know. I have to wear a mask when there's a mask mandate in my city for a few minutes going into a grocery store. The grocery store workers, on the other hand, have to endure them all day long. They're uncomfortable. They make breathing hard. Um, so I would say this is just a continuation of uh, hypocrisy from the left that we've seen. Well, that's the bad news, but I see little green shoots of good news out there. Um, a number of courts have struck down different forms of President Joe Biden's vaccine mandates. I find that hopeful here in Canada. The courts have very very submissive. No substantial ruling uh, has gone against the government. Can you tell us what the courts are doing with these vaccine mandates? Yeah, so there are sort of four components of the uh, Biden mandate. One is for federal contractors. One is for federal employees. One is for private businesses that employ over 100 people. And then the fourth is uh, healthcare workers. So three of the four have been struck down uh, by federal courts. And actually, uh, the contractors had, would, uh, had just been struck down in three states, but as of about you know an hour ago, I got noticed that it's actually been extended nationwide. So the only part of Biden's mandate that's currently in effect is the one for federal employees. So this is really good news. Um, and a lot of these decisions, you know, they it's it's about the executive overreach. It's about the fact that Joe Biden doesn't have the right to do this sort of thing. He's abusing his executive power. Um, but there's also a lot of good language, for instance, about the, is there really an emergency that justifies this? Uh, why aren't we recognizing natural immunity? Do the vaccines really stop transmission? So is there any sort of public health justification for mandates? So these have been really, really good decisions. Unfortunately, um, a lot of the sort of overarching aspects can't really apply to state or employer mandates, of, you know, not non-federal well, still, it's a signal to the judiciary that it is 
acceptable to say no to this. Here in Canada, I feel like all the judges who have weighed in are just an extension of, you know, polite opinion and conventional wisdom. No judge in this country that I have seen, I'm talking about Canada, has, has given any credence to natural immunity. They've all assumed we're in the worst emergency. I, I saw a judgment out of Alberta, a judge named Justice Adam Germain. There was no evidence before the court on this. He just said, I'm certain that everyone in the province of Alberta knows at least one person who has died from this virus. Well, actually, only one in 1,500 people has. This judge is extrapolating his own panicked and paranoid lifestyle. That, I, I tell you that as an illustration that the judges here are in complete lockstep. It sounds like the judges down there are being a little bit independent-minded. Does that apply to judges who were appointed by Democrats? I know not all judges are partisan, but that is a good way to look at some divides in America. Is, is there yeah, a non-partisan? Go ahead, sorry. Oh, yeah. Uh, to my knowledge, uh, these are all Republican appointees. Um, I, I believe that's the case. So I don't uh, know of any Democratic judges who struck these down. And, um, you know, these are being brought in jurisdictions that are more conservative for a reason, but then you can apply for a nationwide injunction. So, uh, you know, it, I don't have a lot of hope that judges in blue jurisdictions would be doing the same thing. Okay, I appreciate that caution. But still, the fact that it's happening at all, I mean, um, I, I find some glimmer of hope there. Now, how about, let me ask you a political question. I know you're not a partisan person. In fact, my understanding is for many years, you considered yourself a Democrat. I look at what happened in Virginia recently, and even in New Jersey, where it was awfully close. And one of the takeaways is that maybe the Democrat lockdownists have overplayed their hand and that moderates and independents are saying that's too far. We can be more like Florida and Texas, and we don't have to have this kind of strict lockdown. Do you see that the pendulum is swinging back and that maybe if the lockdownism continues, that 2022 will see a a, a, a a red tide come in? What do you think? I think so, and I hope so. I mean, um, I, I think that a lot of moderates are uh, very sick of this. And frankly, I know a lot of Democrats who, even people who are as progressive as me, I mean, I voted for Bernie Sanders in 2016, um, who are, you know, planning to vote Republican and voting Republican. Um, you know, those are sort of, that's sort of anecdotal, so it's hard for me to get a handle on precisely what percentage of the population it is. And obviously, there's a reason that I'm talking to these people, because we all feel similarly. Um, so, but I think, I think they'll be pushed back. And there are just a lot of uh, people who are afraid to speak up and, you know, realize we're living in this cancel culture where even suggesting that masks don't work very well to stop the spread of the coronavirus is considered heresy and they keep their mouths shut. But they know at the end of the day, it's crazy. And maybe they, uh, you know, like certain things about the Democrats. Maybe they didn't like Trump. But this time around, I think, you know, that a lot of those people are going to be voting Republican. And I hope to see a red wave. Um, I want a strong rebuke of the Democrats and, and their policies that have been crippling um, Americans. Has it really been a party divide? Like, is it really as simple as red team, blue team? Here in Canada, all five parties in our national parliament are unanimous on all of these pandemic policies. And we have 10 provinces in the country, all 10 governments and all 10 provincial opposition parties are unanimous as well. There's literally not a single uh, person in the government or the official opposition in any jurisdiction in this country that's a skeptic. I, I find it impossible to, to believe, but that's a fact. 
is is it just as simple as red team blue team in the states or is there are there some democrats who are skeptics when it comes to uh, politicians it seems to be very red team blue team although i do think some of them privately think that some of these policies are extreme but i think they believe that they're catering to their electorate and that their electorate wants these um you know i know uh, obviously i'm one of them i know a lot of dissident uh democrats former leftists um who you know reject all of this but uh, but we are a minority. I mean, most of the people that I, I've been collaborating with in all my anti-lockdown work are Republicans. Um, and, you know, there's a sort of subset of us who relate to each other because we're, you know, feel very betrayed by the Democratic Party and uh, as though they're not living up to the principles that were the reason that we belong to them in the first place. Last question for you. Be very generous with your time. It's great to catch up with you. You're not just a, an it observer. Is. You're actually in court fighting these battles. And that's the, I, I'm very pleased uh, that you are. Let me ask instead about courts for a minute, though, about pop culture. I mean, some of the most cringeworthy pro-vax propaganda has come from late-night TV hosts. Uh, I mean, I don't know if you saw this clip. The vax scene. Here, take a quick look. Vaccine. The biggest crime there, Janine, is not how wrong it is, it's how unfunny it is. And all these comedians who are supposed to be entertainers, I don't know if they're being sponsored, I don't know if these are paid advertorials. I think they're ideologically wrong, but the crime is they're just so damn unfunny. Is, is there any sector in pop culture and entertainment, and like we've seen a few NBA stars try to object and they were- That's right, yeah. Gina Carano, a few other actors um, have come out against this, but it's so unanimous. Yeah. Well, yeah, it is. Um, I mean, there are a couple there. Eric Clapton, uh, Van Morrison both came out against a lot of this. Um, Bill Maher, actually, I think, has been pretty good. Right. Uh, he, right. Even though I think he's sort of pro-vaccine, um, he's... He's questioned these mandates and what they're doing, and he's said many times, I don't understand why we're recogni not recognizing natural immunity. So he's one, but uh, I'm not a pop culture person, <laughs> so I might be missing something, but to my knowledge, it's, it's been pretty bad. And I actually have some actor friends who, uh, you know, from all of this, and they feel very marginalized. They, they're the only ones, and they can't get jobs. That's another aspect of this. They, most of them aren't even, you know, permitted to go to uh, do auditions without a uh, vaccine passport. Yeah, well, I tell you, we're in a crisis, that's for sure. Do you think we're yes. still gonna be in this crisis five years from now? You'd think that would be an easy question to answer. In five years. Oh, yeah. 
I have different thoughts about it. I mean, uh, one very interesting development was last night, the New York Times actually posted an article saying that the Omicron variant actually appears to be less deadly. And they've, you know, it's just been panic porn for the last week about Omicron, Omicron, Omicron. Um, so I thought that was an interesting concession. I don't know what that'll lead to. I mean, look, I, the virus is endemic. If it, if it turns out it's less um, deadly, that is obviously a very good thing. And maybe that will help quell some of the panic. But the problem is that the mindset that has led to all of this is not going to go away. Janine, sure. what a pleasure to catch up with you. We're so proud of the work you're doing. We didn't talk a lot about your cases, but I know you're fighting hard. You're with the new Civil Liberties Alliance. I love the title of your organization. Great to see you again. Thank you. Great to see you too, Ezra. Thank you. Uh, right on. There you have it. Stay with us. Hey, welcome back. Your feedback. John Carroll says, I appreciate Mark Morano's observation that there is no longer any political left or right. There is only pro-tyranny and anti-tyranny. Yeah, it reminds me of uh, Janine Eunice, who for her whole life was a Democrat and suddenly is wondering where do Democrats go? Democrats and leftists and liberals in this country and the Green Party in this country, they're now pro-big pharma. They're against personal privacy. They're abandoned their my body, my choice. They just, where on earth did they go? It's pretty incredible. I mean, if you would have told me two years ago that Rebel News was crowdfunding to help union members uh, fight against their union for abandoning them to their corporate masters, I would have said, I don't see it. Here's a letter from Chris N. who says, I follow Rebel News, but as a Frenchman, I have to say this propaganda for Zemmour is disgraceful. Well, listen, I appreciate your point of view. And I think I told you everything I know about Zemmour. I don't know everything about him. But what I know about him uh, is that he has caught the imagination of at least a chunk of Frenchmen. And what's most interesting to me is that although he sounds like a French chauvinist, quoting or citing de Gaulle and Napoleon, he himself is a son of immigrants, a Jew and an Arab. Now, I think that uh, there could well be many reasons to dislike him, reasons I don't even know about. Over the years, I saw that there were many criticisms of Donald Trump. I think I heard them all. Some of them had some merit. Others were just hyperventilating in partisan opposition. I look forward to learning more about Eric Zemmour, and I'm sure we will in the campaign ahead. I know this, Emmanuel Macron, the president of France right now, is about the worst president that country has had in memory, and that's saying quite a lot. Janine Bean, 30, says Robert Kennedy Jr.'s book, The Real Anthony Fauci, is available and illuminating. Well, thank you for telling me that. Again, that's an example of what Mark Morano had to say. Um, Robert F. Kennedy Jr. was someone I would have no time for two years ago. Now he is a leading voice of reason and to push back against overweening government. Didn't expect that from a Kennedy. Speaking of books, let me leave you with, a, I'm going to call it our video of the day but it's actually a kind of ad. It's just a minute or so long. Speaking of books, our friend Dr. Julie Panessi has a new book called My Choice. And I'll leave you with our video of the day. It's a short promotion for her book. I hope you enjoy it. I'll leave you with that video and until tomorrow, on behalf of all of us here at Rebel World Headquarters to you at home, good night.
and keep fighting for freedom. My name is Dr. Julie Panessi. I was a professor of ethics at Western University until I was fired for choosing not to take one of the COVID-19 vaccines. I made an ethical choice and it cost me my job. COVID-19 has caused a crisis in healthcare, but it has also triggered a crisis in other institutions we regard as essential to civil progressive society. Academia, especially the sciences, journalism, government, the law, and more broadly, civil discourse, how we talk to each other. In my new book called My Choice, The Ethical Case Against COVID-19 Vaccine Mandates, I discuss how the response to the pandemic is ushering us into a new era, away from the classical liberal world we are leaving behind, and why I think we are living through a pandemic of coercion and compliance. I explain how we have gotten here and how we can grab hold of a safer, freer, more hopeful future. You can get your copy of the book by going to mychoicebook.ca or bookstores everywhere.